This is the Roden Fellows Podcast. Capital One is a proud partner of the Roden Fellows Program, which provides opportunities to aspiring sports journalists from historically Black colleges and universities to produce content, including this podcast, throughout the year. Capital One supports this program as part of their larger commitment to the advancement of students from HBCUs. Hello, everyone. Welcome to ESPN's Anscape Roden Fellows Podcast. I'm your host, Monet Heath. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by my producer and colleague, Alexis Black. Hi, everyone. All right. We have a great show for you all today in regards to fellowships, artist tours, and the Grammys. So let's get started. Lately, the opportunities for HBCU students are becoming more prominent and accessible, such as this fellowship with ESPN Anscape. In 2022, the NBA Foundation created the NBA HBCU Fellowship to allow HBCU students the opportunity to work for NBA teams and the league offices throughout the summer through hands-on experiences. Today, we have the opportunity to speak with NBA Executive Director Greg Taylor and 2022 Fellow Amir Ali. How are you guys doing today? Really great. Excited (laughs) to talk to you all. Awesome. Okay, so first and foremost, we would like you to introduce yourselves and explain the roles and responsibilities you have or had with the NBA. So my name is Greg Taylor. Um, I actually am the executive director of the NBA Foundation, uh, which is the first charitable foundation in the NBA uh, that was started uh, two and a half years ago. Ten years at the NBA, I used to be over player development, which was essentially the programming devoted to educating the guys for all the challenges and opportunities they face off the court, manage your money, pick an agent, uh, healthy relationships, mental health and wellness, and then join the foundation staff in 2020 in this current role coming out of it. So just excited about this work and excited to share what we do. My name is Amira Ali. Over the summer, I was a part of the inaugural cohort of the NBA HBCU Fellowship. I worked with the Cleveland Cavaliers for the summer and I was in diversity, equity and inclusion. Okay. Amir, what school you go to right now? <laughs> I go to North Carolina a and I love it. IU Pride. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so starting with um, Greg, we're going to ask you guys a few questions regarding the program and what students can look forward to as they apply to this opportunity. Um, first, who is eligible and how many and what departments are there to choose from? Excuse me. Yeah, so... Um, the fellowship this year, I think in Amira's class, there were 60 fellows. This year, we're moving to 75 fellows. And those who are eligible are undergraduate and graduate uh, students of HBCUs uh, uh, across the country. What we're trying to do is to expose these very talented young people to what we call the business of basketball. Far too many folk understand and see the game on the court, which is obviously a magical experience. It's our core business function. Couldn't be more excited. But oftentimes people don't understand, particularly students, don't understand all of the roles behind the scenes to make that basketball game a reality. And so the fellowship is focused on that. How do we provide professional development and exposure opportunities for uh, undergraduates and graduates of HBCUs uh, to learn about working either at the NBA, in sports in general, or hopefully preparing them for whatever their career choices are moving forward. Uh, There's an application process. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's open now through February 20th. 
And so, you know, we time is of the essence. We'd love to get folks to to log on, go to mbafoundation.com. Okay, following up with that, um, are there any uh, full-time opportunities for students available after the fellowship? Yeah, that's the goal. I mean, I think outside of certainly providing professional development opportunities and certainly exposure to what it means to work at the team, what we're hoping to do is to, you know, we call them conversions, is to get as many of the talented young people uh, or fellows converted from that internship into the full-time position. We're really fortunate this first year out, out of the 60 uh, fellows we had in Amira's class, 11 got full-time uh, placements at teams uh, and some even at the at the league office. And so, you know, that 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 decision is based on their hiring partners at the teams. We don't drive that at the NBA. But what we do is really pour into the fellows, help them develop, certainly give them exposure and make sure that people just see their unbelievable genius. And when there are employment opportunities available, we know that teams and others will jump on that opportunity. And that's how it's come to be. But Monet, that's the goal is to begin to helpful, hopefully put them on the uh, the fellows on the a journey towards permanent employment. Okay. And lastly, what advice would you give students that are interested in applying? So I think in many ways, it starts with the application. I know oftentimes it's hard to communicate who you are on paper or online or whatever the application is, but I would take that really very, very seriously. So many or young people kind of eliminate themselves with incomplete applications or ones that aren't as thoughtfully prepared. You know when there's a quality application before you. Uh, I would take very seriously the interview process should you reach that level prepare and understand and you know and and know you know not just who your favorite player is we all know who plays the game but you know research how the you know the 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 NBA operates understand our revenue streams understand what has been our most our most clear and important priorities now like do your research uh, uh before you you know you jump in again those who distinguished them la- themselves last year Amir is certainly amongst that group took time to prepare for what that interview and application process is so many times our young people eliminate themselves mm-hmm. uh, uh and you know and so what we're saying is make it compelling and difficult on those of us on the selection committee by putting your best foot forward i think that's really really important and then lastly, I would just say that, you know, when you do show up, it, it is a professional development opportunity. It is a rare moment. I'll let Amira speak about her her journey last year, but recognize that when if you are fortunate enough to be in this space, you represent yourselves, your institution, your families, and you and you know, we 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 expect excellence, right? And so that's the way in which you both uh, achieve the fellowship, maintain the fellowship, and then hopefully use it as a springboard into whatever your a uh, 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 career choice is, whether it's in sports or not. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's really ultimately what the goal of the work is. And that's the advice I'd give uh, prospective applicants. Okay. All righty. Thank you so much for that wonderful um, information and advice. Um, now we're going to ask a few questions for Amira. Um, to start, what did you learn and gain from your experience with the fellowship and the Cavaliers? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing that I learned was just you know, being able to 
take advantage of so many different opportunities and kind of like expand my horizons. I was working in diversity, equity, inclusion for most of the summer. So I got to learn a little bit more about like what the DEI strategy looks like from a sports standpoint and going into like, this is my first professional internship. So I didn't really know that much about it, but I was really eager, eager to learn, especially because that's one of like the main principles like behind the NBA franchise, this idea of like unity and bringing people together through this game. So I was able to learn about that through all these different programs and events that the Cavs were putting on throughout the summer. I remember like my second week at the internship, it was um, the NBA's return to Cleveland. So we had all of these different like DEI programs and events that were going on throughout the week. And I was learning, okay, this is how all these programs really executed from behind the scenes. You know, we, we see it come together and you're there, but being on the other side and having, you know, to put everything together, that was like an amazing opportunity to learn about that. So how we're going out in the community and, and sharing like our values and, and things that we want to put out to the people of, of Cleveland. Um, and I was also being able to work in projects in like business intelligence. So I was tracking in data from like the previous season, all of the theme nights under DEI. And, you know, that was something else like I had never really done before. So having that opportunity, getting the opportunity to Learn and like be exposed to different platforms, you know, doing that side of like tech, but also in DEI and kind of bringing everything together. That was like the biggest thing for me. And I was able to shadow a couple different departments, learn about like ticket sales, learn about fan engagement, strategic marketing and things like that. But I think like I remember telling my managers, like after every week I learned something new and that was really like my main goal. I really took it as a learning opportunity. So whether that was in DEI strategy or whether that was in like working on my marketing skills, working on business communications, every single week was something new. And I, I really love that. Uh, what would you say was your favorite part, like favorite event, favorite part about the fellowship? There are so many, but <laughs> I would definitely say Taste of Black Cleveland, which was um, a local chef's competition that happened in Cleveland. This was towards the end of the summer. And this was the event that I really got to like do the most work on and plan the most. So I was, you know, helping in like putting in all the vendors and making sure that everything was set up and making sure that we were, you know, doing our run of shows and practicing. I was like going around the um, our arena, making sure that we were doing the layouts correctly and things like that. And once again, this was something that I was getting that experience from because I had never really done anything like this before. And then when you see the whole event be put together and you have all these people from the community coming out, supporting these local black chefs um, and, you know, kind of working on their craft and bringing everything together and just seeing the culmination of it all. I think that was like really rewarding. So just coming into work every day, working on the plans, making sure our layouts were right, having our run of shows, doing the whole process and then seeing it all come together. That was, that was my favorite part. Okay, great. Um, to follow up with that, um, I would say what is one of your more so challenging parts of the fellowship that you experienced? I would probably say my major tech project, which was my data entry, just because sometimes I didn't know like when I should ask questions or when I should go about like, you know, asking for help, I guess I would say. But I think that because it was something new. I'm a person who's like really eager, eager to learn. And when there's a challenge, I, I really just like to he like confront it head on. So I did have people surrounding me like from the business business intelligence department that like were helping me throughout. Um, but yeah, and sometimes like there's a lot of data sets to go through, like the data can be overwhelming at times. And, you know, this was a project that really like took me the whole summer. So 
daunting at first, yes. But once I was able to get comfortable and I was able to get into a rhythm, I think that I was really able to like overcome that obstacle. So yes, it was something new and I wasn't like as data proficient. But once I got into the swing of things, then it it, it became a lot better. And what advice would you give students who are interested in applying and those who do have the chance to um, participate in this fellowship once they get in? I would definitely say just keep an open mind for sure. Um, I think that a lot of times we have like these preconceived notions and we make these bias of what things may be like, but you never really know what it can be if you don't like approach it with an open mind and whether that be in anything, whether you... <clears throat> think you are interested in one department, but maybe get picked for another. You never know the opportunities that can be there until you actually, you know, set forth and and, and go do that. And I would just say, take advantage of every single opportunity. There's so many opportunities, like things that I didn't even really know in this world of basketball and like the business side. So, you know, anytime people are like, oh, do you want to come with me on this meeting? Do you want to come and chat with me? I'll absolutely do it like you never really know <laughs> what you can learn there's there's so much out there so just keep an open mind and and be eager to to learn and just take advantage of every opportunity that that comes your way I love that yes thank you so much for your insight and um thank I want to thank the both of you for coming out and um joining our podcast and just talking about the NBA fellowship it's just so amazing to see all of the opportunities that are available today for HBCU students. So we definitely appreciate you all taking the time to talk about this wonderful fellowship and hope that many students are able to apply this year. Yeah, thanks for having uh, me. Amir, you can speak for yourself. You are amazing, let me be clear. <laughs> I just wanna highlight asking for help, taking advantage of opportunities, grit, flexibility, like being willing to learn. This is exact, all of those are the themes Amira just talked about. This is exactly what the fellowship is about. And I would argue in this day and age, the type of skills and positioning that companies like the NBA are looking to find in future employees. I mean, you know, Amir, I'm embarrassed, you sharp, right? Mm -hmm. And in many ways, her, your ability to walk through what you experience and, and highlight those skill sets I'm, I'm humbled because that's the purpose of the fellowship. And whether you land at the NBA or somewhere else, we're glad we got a chance to pour pour into you around some of those uh, experiences that you just so eloquently talked about. That is what it's all about. So let me just stop. But you know, I really just appreciate being here and and sharing. And, and I do hope that talented folk, we know our HBCUs generate incredible genius talent and leaders. Please apply. We're trying to find y'all. And we know there's opportunity out there. So just thanks for your time today. And uh, I couldn't be more happy. I mean, I'm going to send it to you to close this out. But I'm just saying, <laughs> unbelievable. Unbelievable. Great stuff. Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to like talk about my experiences. It, it was really like, it was honestly a life-changing thing. Just, just being there, doing something that I was so passionate about for so long and like being in the office and, and doing these projects. It's it's really an amazing opportunity. So I'm just really excited to see like what the next class brings. I know it's just going to mm -hmm. be amazing. So I can't wait to see, you know, what, what this year has in store. Thank you guys so much. Yes, thank you again. Thank, <laughs> thank you. For our next segment, let's talk about one of the most important nights in the music industry that occurred this week, the wonderful Grammys. <laughs> yes. The 65th Annual Grammy Awards occurred on Sunday, February 5th in Los Angeles, California at the Crypto.com Arena. Many awards were given that night to 
A good amount of Black artists, including Kendrick Lamar, who won a Grammy for Best Rap Album. We also witnessed some historic moments, including Lizzo winning the record of the year. And um, a Black woman has not won this award since Whitney Houston in 1994. And I just think that is so crazy. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely crazy to think about, considering all the wonderful artists that we have. Um, But let's not forget to mention the queen, as many would say, um, Beyonce. She managed to break the Grammy record held by classic conductor George Solti by obtaining a total of 32 wins. On Sunday, she received four Grammy wins with a total of nine nominations this year. But most were still shocked because she lost in the night's top three categories, which were song, record, and album of the year. Yeah, and I think that's crazy. Yes, she did win Grammys, but it was just like the top ones you were expected to hear Beyonce. So I know like Beehive was very like confused and... um. I saw even um, articles from about Jay-Z saying like, yeah, this is not what the awards that people truly thought she deserved and she deserved more. And even then, you know, the Grammys have been known for the racism from simply not giving artists the credit that they deserve and um, picking artists over them who didn't earn it as much as they did. And um, I even saw a tweet that mentioned it would be the last time we saw Beyonce and Jay-Z at the Grammys just because of the way they treat us. Yeah, it's definitely, you know, they try to get Beyonce on there for views and then it seems like, but then she doesn't really get those um, top Mm -hmm. awards. So it's definitely interesting. Um, Even like Song of the Year, I still don't know the woman that won. But... um, (laughs) Yeah, so even even if Beyonce didn't win, it was still other, you know, songs that I heard throughout the year that I was like, okay, that may be my win song of the year, especially like Steve Lacey, Bad Habits was really popular. So I was just shocked that um, neither Beyonce or any of those other artists won. So yeah, we'll see um, what happens in the future, but I definitely think that um, they need to start putting a little bit more respect on Beyonce's name. Absolutely. Um, we also witnessed some great performances from Mary J. Blige, Steve Lacey, Quavo with a tribute performance for Takeoff, um, Ice-T, Missy Elliott, Busta Rhymes, and a star-studded performance from many other rappers to celebrate the 50th anniversary of hip-hop. Um, so those were a lot of great performances. Um, I also know that Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson, they won the Persons of the Year for the Grammys this year. So um, Stevie Wonder and Smokey Robinson also performed. And as somebody from Detroit, somebody that worked at the Motown Museum, that was really just cool to see. Um, So I really enjoyed that performance. Um, Steve Lacey, I have been obsessed with Bad Habits since I've heard it. So that was a really good performance. And even the 50th anniversary hip hop was really cool to see. I'm just so many iconic um, rap artists, like some we may even forget about. They all just came on one stage and just um, performed some of their top songs. So I definitely really enjoyed all of those performances. Yes, I just love when, you know, like there's unity between us and like music and I'm an R&B girl. So (laughs) even hearing um, Stevie Wonder is just, I just, I'm, yeah, old R&B is where my heart is. So just being able to, watch us come together at the Grammys regarding disregarding like everything that goes on between in that um award ceremony and just being able to come together is just I think it's very important. 
Yeah, definitely. So yeah, it was great to witness so much history and wonderful performances at the Grammys. Okay, to move on for our final segment, kind of related to music as well, I think it's important to talk about how many legendary artists are going on tour these upcoming months. Yes, I'm seeing every time I open my Instagram app, it's a new artist going on tour. And recently, um, outstanding artists like Beyonce, Lil Wayne, SZA, Drake, Key Glock, and so many more have announced their upcoming tour dates and they are currently on sale. Yes, and it has caused so much buzz on social media as well. I feel like every other tweet that I see on Twitter nowadays is just about the Renaissance tour. So, yeah. Every every day I'm watching somebody say they bought their ticket. As soon as Beyonce announced her tour, the fan demand immediately exceeded the number of tickets by 800%. And I think that is insane. (laughs) And um, I've seen that tickets for the Renaissance tour ranged from $100 to $1,000. And I'm pretty sure there were more over than $1,000. And I think that like Beehive is just so strong that people would go into their savings. People would do anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you tell them to do. They'll do it just to go see Beyonce. (laughs) Um, Monet, what are your thoughts about the concert season? Um, I'm really excited. It's just, it's so many people going at once. I know um, last year I saw The Weeknd and Kendrick Lamar in like two weeks and I thought that was a lot. But hearing all of the artists that's, that are going on tour probably this upcoming few months, like it's a lot. So I need to save my coin up. I think I heard a rumor that Rihanna might be going on tour soon. So oh, it's just, yeah, a lot of people are going on tour at once and I'm like, y'all. Let's face it out a little bit so I can get some good seats. But um, I definitely think I've been saying like growing up, I wasn't the biggest fan of Beyonce, but I definitely think she's just one of those like artists of our time. That's just so legendary. So I said I do want to see her at least once. So I definitely may try to go see her. So, yeah. Yeah, I I'm not a big concert girl, so I I can go, but when it comes to like, if you're asking me to pay over $200, honestly, over $100, I'm just not doing that. So even looking at Beyonce's tickets and seeing the nosebleeds were already too much. I can't see from that distance. Like I can't see anything. Like everybody's just, it's just a blur. So I'm just not going to dig into my savings and go to a concert and I just that's just not enough for me but I love Beyonce I'm such a Beyonce fan but (laughs) um yeah I'm just not spending that much money but I I don't degrade anybody for spending that money because everybody has preferences and everybody I know people who are absolutely obsessed with Beyonce so yeah I just watch the TikTok and the Instagram videos (laughs) they'll be enough for me and I'll listen to Beyonce (laughs) Yeah, so I'm definitely excited for these upcoming shows, all the memes and rumors I've been seeing online, and hope that I can financially allow myself to attend as many tours as I can this upcoming uh, year. Yes. (laughs) Well, that's all for today's episode. Thank you to everybody for tuning in to our podcast. Follow us at Anscape on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok to keep up with our HBCU experiences. We would also like to give a very special thanks to Mr. Roden, Parker Owens, and the ESPN Digital Audio content team. Be sure to stick around to the very end of this podcast for an exclusive look into the Roden Fellow Otis Family Member segment. 
Get all of your Roden Fellow HBCU podcast episodes by subscribing to the Anscape Listen tab on the ESPN app. Make sure to join us next time for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to go on the Anscape website to look at the latest news and insight. Have a good one. Bye, guys. Bye. I'm Dave Collins, North Carolina, High Point, North Carolina. I'm 95. I I, I came to Detroit in 1950, and I was drafted into the armed services. So before that, I I had gotten me a job, Chrysler Corporation. And uh, they will uh, continue your seniority when you're doing service. So so when I come back, I went back on my job at Chrysler. And then after I got out of service, I went to public college and got my master's public license. I cut hair for 61 years. The chef barber shop, beauty shop in Highland Park. And I've been retired uh, approximately, I worked until I was 92. So now I'm, I'm 95. So I, I was 95 in September. And uh, so I've been uh, just hanging out since then. Okay, thank you for that very descriptive um, introduction. Um, so tell me a little bit about your early childhood. Well, it's a farm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I used to pick cotton, cow, mule, do it all. Yeah, yeah. But how many siblings did you have all together? Oh, my dad, my dad, Bishop Collins, my late. Related father, Bishop Collins, uh, it was 10 kids, two girls and eight boys. Mm-hmm. And, and three of us still alive today. I'm the oldest. I, I, I don't have everybody in my family so far. Mm-hmm. My mom in 93 or four, and my, my other brother in 92. And all the rest is in the 80s and, and one in the 70s. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so why did you choose to serve in the Army? Oh, I didn't have no other choice. When you're people, you when they draft you, mm-hmm. you had no other choice. But go. Right. Serve. And all of... So, so many years, and then you, then you discharge your company and come home. Right. And all of your brothers went except for one, right? Yeah, I had uh, the, the eight boys, one boy deceased when there was a baby, a twin to my brother George. And all the rest of us were in the army, the six of us in the army, I had the seven boys left. Mm. Okay. How important is religion in your family? Religion? Yes. Very. I read a religion home. Mm-hmm. Mom, dad. I have that's my sister. She's in the advantage. Yeah. And 
I have a brother, he's pastor. Okay, so what was working at Chrysler like? motivated you to become a barber and how did you enjoy working as a barber for 60 years? Yeah, I, uh, so, so getting back at the beginning, after I got out of service, I decided I'd go to school on GI Bill. So uh, first I applied at the Lewis Business College. Mm. I, and, uh, and I saw it then that guy wasn't going to work. I didn't have the Singing to, 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 to work, the typewriter. And Lord, this college, so I changed my mind. I said I applied to Green Bible College. So, so I attended the Bible College, got my master's, I came to Highland Park, I met Mr. Shepard, Chef Bible Shop in Highland Park. And I asked him if I could carry my apprenticeship under him, and he, he, he said, okay. I carried my apprenticeship two years, then I had to go back to the board and, and for my master. So I carried I the two years, I went back and took my test and got my master. And that was it. And I could have 60-some years. He said, be the barbershop. I retired it, I, until I was 92. Mm. So, I've been just hanging out since then. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much um, for just giving us some insight and telling us about your life. Yeah. <laughs>